All right. Hey, we want to welcome you to Genesis Church today. My name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis, and we're glad that uh, uh, you've made the time to be here with us this morning. When you came in today, you should have received a worship program. I just want to invite you to take a few minutes to look through that. If you're a guest today, maybe uh, here at Genesis for the first time, we invite you to fill out what we call just the connection card, just to tell us a little bit more about you. If you take that card with you back to the Info Hub this morning, we'd love to give you a gift uh, just to say thanks for being here, and we can answer any more questions about Genesis Church, uh, maybe help you get connected if you're looking to take another step. Uh, Here, I want to draw your attention to one important announcement, that is tonight, uh, we're having a preview night for our financial peace study that we do. You may know Dave Ramsey, a popular writer, radio host, TV host now. He's got a great uh, uh, stewardship program, curriculum, financial program uh, called FPU. We just finished a series up, but we're doing a preview night tonight. If you're just kind of uh, interested to see what that's about, come back at six o'clock here to this room and our, our financial peace team will talk with you a little bit about the financial peace study that starts at the end of the month. It's, it's an outstanding study recommended to anyone Uh, If you've never been through it before, uh, really something uh, pretty cool to check out. So, hey, it's Palm Sunday. And, uh, you know, as we come into uh, this, this important week, uh, as we remember uh, Christ's last days on the earth, uh, there are a number of things that are going to be happening in our church over the next week, and, and I'll talk with you a little bit more about those at the end of the service. But I want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles today, uh, to take them right now and turn to the Gospel of John. Go to the, the fourth book in the New Testament, to John, and go to John chapter 10, if you would. John chapter 10. We're in this series called the I Am series where we're just kind of exploring a little bit more about Jesus to understand better who he is and what that means for you and I in our life. Uh, John chapter 10, go to verse 11 if you would. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, it's interesting because at this point in Jesus' ministry, there were many who still didn't quite understand who he was. Uh, they were still forming an opinion about who this man really was. And, and, you know, that might be kind of the place that you come from today. You know, you're here, and, and, and whether this is your first time or maybe you've just been kind of getting back into the routine of church or, or maybe this is brand new to you completely, uh, you're just trying to understand who Jesus is, what he's about, why we say the things that we say, and we throw out all these, you know, religious terms and stuff sometime, and, and you may not even realize or understand what they mean, and that's okay, but, but what is Jesus about, who is he, and what does he stand for? And that's part of the reason why we're doing this study, this I Am series, to better understand, to help us better understand who Jesus is. And it's here in John 10 that Jesus continues to paint a greater picture uh, of who he is and how he loves us, you know, what he's like. And so to help his listeners better understand what he's like, Jesus chose an analogy with which everyone in this ancient culture was quite familiar. He chose the image of a shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now, along with fishing and farming, shepherding was one of the three major occupations uh, in Palestine. It was deeply embedded into Mideastern culture, you know, then and, and even today. And to the Jewish people, a shepherd was more than just a sheep caretaker. You know, when they heard the word shepherd, they, they, they thought of a shepherd as any kind of leader, you know, whether it be a political leader or even a spiritual leader. And people looked to the king at this time as the shepherd. Uh, People look to all the prophets as shepherds. 
And most importantly, God was viewed as the great shepherd or the good shepherd. In Psalm chapter 23, verse 1, David, he, he write these words, wrote these words. It starts out the psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. In Psalm chapter 80, verse 1, the nation of Israel writes out, Hear us, O shepherd of Israel. That's God. You know, you who lead Joseph like a flock. And so while God was considered a shepherd, the people of Israel were privileged to be called the flock of Israel. They were the sheep. In Psalm 100, verse 3, the writer says, Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his, the sheep, his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so in the Old Testament, God was viewed as the shepherd, and his people were like the sheep. Now fast forward, if you would, into the New Testament, into Jesus' day, and here comes Jesus on the scene. And, and people are trying to get to know who he is and figure, figure him out, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, and, and you are my sheep. And so Jesus is the shepherd. This is what he's trying to communicate to the people, to build a picture in their mind of who he is and what he's like, and we... Even you and I today, we are his sheep. And so at the beginning of John 10, Jesus begins describing the love and the character of a good shepherd. And he begins by talking about the difference between a shepherd and a thief who just simply wants to come into the sheep pen and to steal the sheep. And so let's look at these words together. If you're still in John chapter 10, go back to, uh, to verse 1 and let's start there. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so sheep recognize the voice of a good shepherd. They recognize his voice, and it wasn't uncommon for more than one herd of sheep to be contained in a pen uh, for, for an evening. So look, look at it like this, Shepherd, shepherd Joe. Okay, he might come along at nighttime and he might bring all 30 of his sheep and put them in this one pen. And then, and then here comes Shepherd William and Shepherd William brings his 40 sheep and he, he mixes them in with the 30 into this same pen. And then, you know, Shepherd Steve, he comes along and he's got 30 more and he puts them in this pen. And all of a sudden there are these 100 sheep all roaming around together. And, and this comes, becomes a little bit of a problem because whose sheep are whose sheep? I mean, there's 100 sheep in here, but th to three different owners and You've got to bring your herd out in the morning. So how do you know who's or who's? Well, a good shepherd knew. You know, they, they say that a good shepherd had a, a familiar voice or a familiar call or even a familiar yodel of sorts. And, and that a good shepherd, sure enough, could come along in the morning and, and kind of let out his call. And one by one, each of his sheep would start working their way out of this pen to the shepherd. And they would follow the shepherd. They recognized the voice of their shepherd because it was familiar. You know, they recognized the voice of their shepherd because they could trust it. You know, they, they had spent time together. And so in the morning, the shepherd would, would come. He would make the call. And every one of his sheep would come walking out of the pen until they were all accounted for. Because sheep recognized the voice of their shepherd. Now, there's another fascinating thing here. Look at, look at verse 4 again. It says, He meaning the good shepherd, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
Now, true, a good shepherd has a familiar voice that his sheep understand, but at the same time, the shepherd is so intimately aware of each and every one of his sheep that he can even call them by name. A good shepherd named his sheep. You know, a good shepherd gave each of his sheep an earmark so that he could recognize who they were. I mean, he knew them by name. He knew their look. He knew their distinctive features. He knew their tendencies. He knew their likes and their dislikes. He, he knew what made them happy and what frightened them. The good shepherd knew his sheep. And so here's what Jesus is saying to this crowd. He, he comes amongst this crowd of, of men and women, some with doubts, some with great beliefs, some with great hopes, and he looks them in the eye and he says, I'm like that. I'm just like that good shepherd. And, and my sheep, you know, that, that's you. You're my sheep. I, I know your name. I know your personality. I know your greatest faults. I know your looks and your distinctive features. I, I know all of your tendencies. I know what makes you nervous. I know why you doubt. I know your likes and your dislikes. I know why you hurt. I know why you're resentful. I know what makes you happy, I know what makes you sad, and I know what makes you hurt. And I know what you need in your life right now. And why is that? I mean, why is that that Jesus, uh, that God, how is that that he can know us so well? Well, he created us. You know, David, a shepherd, King David, he wrote in Psalm 139, verse 13, he writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And that's pretty fascinating for David because this is, this is before anatomy and all these physiological developments and terms and everything have ever been discovered. And David says, You knew my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know, when you think about it, the development of a child is a pretty amazing, a pretty amazing thing. I, I was watching this talk this past week, and, and maybe you've seen it. It's Louis Giglio, who many of you have maybe heard of. And, and he was talking about the development of the human eye. And I got a, a picture of an eyeball here, and I tried to find one that wasn't too gross to kind of freak anybody out or anything. But uh, do, you, do you really, do you understand... Do you understand how fascinating your, your eyes are? Do you, do you understand how fascinating it is that we have sight and that we are able to see? I mean, the eyeball, when you think of it, is probably one of the most complex things on the earth. I mean, it's, it's more complex than any, any computer. Uh, he, he described it this way after talking with, with, with a physician, after talking with, with this researcher, that it's pretty amazing how the, the human eyeball comes together in the womb of the mother because... You know, you're not just given eyes when you're born. I mean, they actually develop inside the womb. And, and when, when you were about the size of a peanut, there, there was this happening that took place in this optical center of your brain where they believe anywhere near one million optical nerves began extending out of the center of your brain. 
And at the very same time, one, one million nerve endings from the outside of your body began extending towards those same one million optical nerves that are coming from your brain. And here, here's what's marvelous about it. Each one of them has a number. And so number seven has to find number seven. And number 2,456 has to find 2,456. And number 600,537 has to find 600,537. I mean, imagine one million people come walking in the room right now, and every one of them has a number. And another million people come walking in the room, and they've all got to find each other. Well, that's what's happening is this takes place, this, this development of the eye. You know, and as all of this comes together, you know, this eye, these eyes begin to develop. And, and scientists describe it as a mystery that at six months, there, there's almost like this magical knife that takes place that, that puts a slit right on your eyelid. And all of the muscles have already developed at this point. And the eye can open and close and open and close and we can see. And so this God of ours that created the universe and created the Milky Way galaxy and Jupiter and even the Grand Canyon, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Every single little detail, all of the intricacies of you, all of your uniqueness, God put it together. Every detail. He didn't, didn't miss a beat. I mean, he orchestrated everything. He created your eyes. He created your personality and your heart. The Bible says that he ordained every single day of your life. He knew the day that you would be born. He knows the day that you will die. I mean, you were made by God. You were made for a purpose. And he didn't miss a thing when he created you. David writes in Psalm 139, verse 14, after trying to comprehend this, after trying to get his mind around this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And this morning, I'm going to invite our band to come out because I think we need to just stop right here for a second. And I think we need to take to heart these words of David when he says, I praise you, God, because you created me. And I thought we would do that right now. So would you stand together and let's just praise God for making us and for creating us who we are. A good shepherd knows the sheep, and Jesus knew this, and that's what he was trying to communicate to this crowd, and that's what he wants you and I to understand, that he knows us. He knows every bit of us. He knows our stories. A good shepherd knows the sheep. Now, did you know this? Did you know that sheep are one of the only animals that do not have a defense mechanism? They don't. I mean, they don't bite. Unless you cover your hand with peanut butter or something and stick it in their mouth, then they might bite or something, but they don't bite. They, they, they can't run fast because their knees don't bend. You know, they, they, they can't pull a skunk on you. You know, they don't growl and their bat isn't very intimidating, but they can, they can kind of rub up against you and maybe make you itch. And that's about the only defense mechanism that sheep have. And so sheep need protection. You know, the shepherd is their protector. He is there to protect the sheep. And in John chapter 10, verse 4, Jesus said this. He says, when, when he has brought out all his own, when the shepherd has brought out of the pen all of the sheep that belong to him, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, I want you to stop here and take notice of the position of the shepherd. Because what does the shepherd do? The shepherd goes out in front of the sheep. The good shepherd leads his sheep. You know, he goes out in front of them. He does not force them. The shepherd doesn't come behind and drive them. The shepherd leads them because he is their leader and he's able to protect them as they follow. 
Now, shepherds, they carried these weapons. Uh, they carried several weapons. One of the, the more popular uh, weapons that they carried was the sling, and a shepherd was an excellent slinger. All right, and he could use this, this weapon as a weapon of defense. You know, if a, a vicious animal was trying to attack, he could sling a rock and, and kill the, vis, the vicious animal. But also, if a sheep was wandering away from the herd and maybe just getting a little bit out of, the, out of reach, a good shepherd could sling a stone and land it just in front of the sheep enough to startle them and get them to turn around course and, and lure them back. A shepherd carried a staff. The staff was this wooden club that contained a, a lump of wood on the end. This lump of wood was full of nails, and the shepherd would wear it on their side, you know, ready to use it at a moment's notice. The shepherd carry, carried a rod. You know, it was a long stick with a curve on the end, a kind of like a life-size candy cane of sorts, probably the image that comes to your mind when you think of a shepherd. And he could, he could use this rod to, to pull a sheep away from the edge of a cliff or from danger. A good shepherd was absolutely focused on caring for and protecting each sheep. And he was not willing to lose even one of them. He was set on protecting every single one. And that's Jesus. I mean, that's just what he's like. I mean, he, he, he is set on being our protector and being our defender and being our leader. And Jesus wants to care for you. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 12 and 16, we get this description of, of this shepherd, of Jesus. It says, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, after a scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. And that's the role that Jesus wants to play in your life. That's the role Jesus wants to play in my life. I mean, he's there to walk with us and look after us. And he's there for the college student that, that walks onto that new campus for the first time. You know, he's there for that young married couple that, that's just gotten together and they're just trying to survive and to figure out what life's all about. You know, he does that for the single mom who's, who's trying to keep up with the job and the kids in life. He, he promises that to the son who struggles at putting his sick mother in a nursing home. You know, Jesus is our shepherd, and he's there to protect us. He, he's there to guide us. And, you know, maybe that's where you stop, and that's maybe where you kind of check out for a second because you say, well, wait, wait a second. You know I mean? Wait. He hasn't been that shepherd to me. I mean, where was my shepherd, you know, when the car wreck happened? Or, or where was my shepherd when the injury took place? Or what about the financial troubles that, that we're facing right now in our home? And, and someone else may say, what about my broken engagement? Or what about my father's battle with cancer? Where was the good shepherd then? Huh? Where was the good shepherd then? You know, it's interesting that the Bible never says anything about the guarantee of an easy life, unfortunately. And for whatever reason, there are these wrong beliefs out there today that if God is real, then there should be no pain or no suffering in the world. And one time Jesus was addressing this issue head on. He, he was talking with a group of people and he told them a story. It wasn't a true story, but it could have been a true story. And in this story, he described two builders, two men. And one man built his house on the sand and the other man built his house on the rock. And Jesus pointed out that the one who built on the sand was a foolish man for building on the sand because it had a poor foundation. But then he pointed out the man who decided to build his home on the rock and said that this is the wise man because he built his foundation on the rock. Because one day the storms will come. And notice that in this situation, Jesus says the storms are inevitable. I mean, both the foolish man and the wise man had to face the storms. 
The storms will come, Jesus says. But it's the wise man who builds his house upon the rock who will be ready. And the point's this, that the storms come. And both homes and both men had to weather the storm. You and I are going to face storms in our life. There are going to be days, there are going to be phone calls, there are going to be letters that radically change our life, things that we're not ready for. I mean, the storms will come, Jesus says. We're not exempt from this. And some of you right now are going through some real storms in your life, and they're fierce. And you don't know how you're going to endure and how you're going to get through. And the difficult reality is that God does not promise to protect us from the storms. He never does that. He's never said that. But here's what he promises to do. He promises to protect us in the storms. And the book of Psalms is really just a book of personal journal entries from from men who just pour out these heart-wrenching words to God, crying out in anguish. I mean, their tears are on every page, and look how God responds to these tears. Or or just listen, these aren't on the screen. Psalm 10, 17, the Lord says, you listen to their cry, that I, that I listen to your cry. Psalm 6, 9, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. And Psalm 9, 12, for he who avenges blood remembers that he does not ignore the cry of the afflicted, that God does not ignore the cries of those who are going through storms in their life. And then in Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And there's something peculiar about that Hebrew word that's chosen there, that it's almost as if God is closer when our hearts are broken than he is at any other time. That God comes so close that he can be with us, that he can comfort us, that he can walk through anything as we face it. I want to show you a picture of my son Luke. This is from the big fall of 2008. Uh, You can see the stitches that uh, my little three-year-old boy has on his forehead there. It was an interesting Sunday afternoon in our house, let me just say that. And uh, it it happened at the wrong time. You know, mom and dad really weren't looking, and we were off in the other room doing something else, and Luke and Joel were playing in the hallway, and Luke was running, and he fell into the corner of the wall. And I think he hit right that corner of the trim, too, you know, where the wood comes together. And, I mean, there was blood everywhere. And it looked worse than it really was, but for this little guy, it was a bad day, all right? Everything had finally changed. And on the next picture here, uh, you can see our visit to the emergency room. And uh, the tears went away, and they were able to cover the bandage and, and get him ready for the stitches. Uh, and, you know, for, for Luke, you know, th- this, this was a day of crisis, you know? I mean, this blood and this pain that I'm facing. But what was interesting, I think, for me and, and for my wife, too, is kind of shown in this next picture that I wasn't necessarily happy about what happened to him. I would never wish that upon him. But I'll tell you that for Jenny and I, it will probably want to be one of the more special memories that we've had with Luke of being in the emergency room with him as he ate his popsicles. And the doctor, you know, just carefully stitched up his forehead and we got to watch Luke be courageous and brave and hold his hand through that. And you know, I don't believe that in any way God wishes harm upon us. And sometimes he allows things happen to us that are unexplainable. But here's what God promises to do. He promises to be there with us and to walk through the pain with us 
and to help us in the recovery. In fact, I think that's when God is at his greatest, when we're willing to walk through the recovery with him, when we're willing to seek him for strength, when we're willing to seek him for healing. This next picture is just a simple picture. It's a, it's a picture of a statue. This statue is just simply entitled The Good Shepherd. And as I think about Jesus being like this for us and you and I as the sheep, I can't help but think that this is really how it's supposed to work. That you and I, when we walk through our good days and we walk through our most difficult days, that this is the rightful place that you and I are to take. That this is the shepherd when he's at his very best. And this is what Jesus says. He says, this is who I am. I can be your protector. I can be your strength. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 31 says, There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. And so the good shepherd, he knows us. He protects us. I mean, he's enough for us. He really is if we'll just let him be that. And then in John chapter 10, verse 11, it's the verse that we opened with at the beginning as Jesus is describing to this crowd who he is and what he's really like as he uses this imagery of a shepherd. Again, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, here's what's interesting, that after a long day of grazing in the pasture, you know, the sheep would gather, or the shepherd would gather up his sheep and he, he'd lead them back to this pen that we talked about a little bit at the beginning, and these holding areas, they, they had one opening. They were, they were walled in with rocks. Sometimes it was a cave, but there was one entrance. There's only one. And one by one, the shepherd would stand at the entrance, and he would lead each sheep one by one into the pen, and he would carefully examine every single one of them to make sure they were healthy and cared for, that they hadn't received some sort of injury during the day. He made sure that they were safe and that they were well-fed, and then finally that they were all secured. And he wouldn't rest until every one of them was taken care of. At another place in Scripture, Jesus described this good shepherd as, as one that, hey, if only 99 of the 100 sheep showed up, he'd go look for that other one. I mean, they all mattered. They all counted. It wasn't until every single sheep was in the pen that the shepherd was able to relax and to rest. He wouldn't rest until everyone was safe. And when every sheep was in the pen, the shepherd would stand at the entrance and then if there was no watchman to take care of those particular sheep, here's what the shepherd would do. He would then lie down in front of the entrance. His entire body would extend from one side of the entrance to the other side of the entrance. And the shepherd became this doorway, this gate to his sheep. I mean, no one entered the pen without going through the shepherd. He was there to protect. He was there to make sure that no sheep wandered off during the night. But the shepherd would lay down his life at the entrance of the pen for a sheep. And I can't help but think that as Jesus, when he rode into town on that donkey, you know, 2,000 years ago into the city of Jerusalem, and all the people and all the children laid down their coats, and, and they laid down these palm branches, and they shouted, Hosanna. You know, as they cried this great, you know, shout of victory, this Hosanna to Jesus, as he rode down the street, he looked into the faces of every single one of them, and he knew their stories. He knew their greatest pains. He knew their greatest longings. He knew what they really needed. And Jesus had his eyes on the cross. 
I mean, that's the reason he came. I mean, that was the ultimate reason why Jesus came to the earth. He came, he came for this. I mean, as only the good shepherd was able to do, he was willing to kind of lay down. He was willing to lay down his life. It was for you and me. And I don't know what that picture does for you this morning. And as we come into this, you know, this great week of, of Easter, you know, as we look ahead to Good Friday, I, I think we can really begin right here today. That Jesus, like the Good Shepherd, was willing to lay down his life for you and me. And what does that mean to you? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that was a big deal for you for a while ago, and it, it's changed your life. I mean, it's changed your life. You live differently today because Jesus laid down his life for you. But maybe you're here this morning, and you've just never really been willing to deal with the reality of what Jesus did. Friends, could I invite you to maybe consider making this year the first year that you let Jesus die for you? That everything that you've always carried, that for the first time in your life, you finally let it go. And know and understand and realize that only Jesus Christ can forgive you of your past and pave your way to a brighter future. He knows you. He created you. He's there to protect you. He's ready to walk through any junk that you're walking through right now or that you may face in the future. But Jesus has given us victory because he was willing to do this. But you've got to be willing to let him do it for you. Oh, he loves us. He really does. And he loves you. And he loves you in spite of what you've gone through. He loves you in spite of what you're going through right now. And so really the question that we end with this morning is, Will you let him love you? Will you let him die for you? Will you let him free you? God, we, we thank you for your son Jesus. And we thank you for the prize that he offers to every one of us, the life that he offers to every one of us that will just will simply let him love us. And God, I, I just pray that this morning as we think about who Jesus is and what he's like, that we would remember these words and we'd re remember this image, this picture of, of a good shepherd who is so intimately aware and familiar with every single one of his sheep that he knows us, he knows every detail of our life, he, he knows all of our ups and downs, he, he knows the days from our past and the days of our future. He knows what makes us hurt and what makes us happy, Lord. And we thank you for Jesus that he knows this about us, that he's personally aware of every one of us. And we thank you for this promise that, that he is our protector. And, and I know that might just be a difficult reality for some people to embrace today because they're, they're walking through some, some pretty difficult times right now or, or they've, they've just come through the storm and, and the wounds are still fresh, the pain is still real. God, I pray that we might allow him to be the shepherd for us. That maybe that's what stands in the way of our healing right now or, or making sense of all of this is letting you do what you've promised to do for us and that is to be our shepherd. And so God, will you carry us? Will you walk through these things that we face right now and would you give us the strength and the comfort and the protection of, of knowing that you're watching out? 
But we're thankful, God, for Jesus and that, like the good shepherd, he was willing to lay down his life for us. That this was his ultimate reason for coming and that when he came, he died for all of us. He, he died for me and he, he, just, he died for all of my friends here today. And so, God, I, I pray that we would just be confronted with that no matter where we are in our spiritual journey right now, to be reminded that Jesus died for us. And that if we're willing to accept his love, if we're willing to accept this sacrifice, that, that he promises forgiveness and life that we cannot attain on our own. So thank you for his death. Thank you for his life. And thank you for the hope that he's given to every single one of us. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things to our Heavenly Father. Amen. Hey, go ahead and have a seat for, for just another minute, if you would. Um, I just want you to know, you know, like any other week, if you'd ever like to talk or just would like somebody to pray with you following a service, that, that I'll be up here afterwards. We'll have some others, too, and we'd love to chat with you and, and pray with you a little bit. Um, we're going to change directions just a little bit. I, I need to invite the host team to come forward this morning and, and to, to receive our offering. And as they do that, uh, we just want you to know that if you're a guest of ours today, uh, we don't want you to feel obligated to give in any way. This is an opportunity for those who call Genesis their home uh, to give back a portion of what God's already given. But I want to talk to you just real quickly about next week uh, because we've got some big things happening over this next week. First of all, this Friday night at 6.30 p.m., we're going to have a service here uh, to remember Remember Good Friday. We want to invite you to come at 6.30. Uh, we'll, ha- we'll share some communion together. We'll have some worship. It'll be a short evening. won't be a very long evening at all, but we'd love to invite you to come back and, and to bring somebody with you. And then next Sunday, uh, this is the big day. This is the day that we look forward to, but we don't want to rush to Easter yet. Well, let's spend some time with the cross first, especially with this Friday. But next Sunday is our big celebration, and this is the day that we celebrate that Jesus was resurrected, that he is the life, and that he is alive today. And we're going to celebrate that next week. And it's going to be a great service. But here's where I need some help uh, from those of you that, that claim us, that claim Genesis as your family, and you're not embarrassed to say, yes, this is my family. This is my home. Uh, we're, gonna, we're expecting a number of people next week. It, it, just, it always happens on Easter Sunday. And so I'd like to invite the Genesis family to do what we can. Let, let, let's make sure we're ready to welcome our guests and visitors. First of all, uh, you're obviously here for the 9 a.m. service. I'd like for you to come to 9 a.m. next week. And we're going to be asking the, the 1045 a.m. crowd again for some of them to come over here because we need to open up some seats and we have more chairs and we'll fill in this room so so that it's nice and cozy but come to the 9 a.m service next week but here's what i'd also like you to consider doing Uh, i'd like you to consider where it is that you park Uh, Now, this lot immediately out of our main doors is the most obvious place to park on Sunday mornings. When our guests arrive next week, that's going to be the lot that they're going to look for, and it's the lot that fills up the quickest. Uh, Would you be willing uh, to get a little exercise next Sunday morning and park a little farther down the street? Uh, We can extend all the way down the front of this building and even around the corner towards the post office, Uh, but maybe that would would work out for you. And and if, if your health allows you to take a little bit of a walk, we would love for you to park away so that we can leave as many spots open as we can next week. The other thing that I'd like to ask you to think about doing is to find a place to serve. You know, maybe you're on one of our teams already, but you know you're off next week. Would you go to your team leader and say, hey, I'm willing to serve next week? We could especially 
use some more help in the Gen Kids area. We're, we'll have a lot of families come in to sit in this room next week, and when they come, their kids are going to go into the Gen Kids space, and there's going to be a lot of kids over there, and we could use some extra help in any of the services next week. And if you're willing to do that, stop by the Info Hub after service and say, hey, I'm willing to serve. Put me on a list, and we'll get in contact with you this week and see where we can help you fit in. And the last thing is this. Bring somebody with you next week. Uh, Easter time is one of the greatest times to invite somebody to come to church. And these, whoever figures out these statistics says that people are more likely to say yes to an invitation, especially during this season, than any other time. Who maybe is God putting on your life, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, that you might invite to be here with you next Sunday? It's going to be a great day. We're really excited about it. We're going to be baptizing some people. It's going to be a great celebration. So next Sunday, uh, we're looking forward to it, and we look forward to seeing you back. Will you stand with me? I'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for giving us the chance to come into this room and to remember how great you are. Uh, God, would you, would you work in our lives and in our hearts today and in these days, Lord, as we walk out of this place, would you remind us of Jesus and what he's done for us? And, and I just pray that we would all want that for our life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.